Hello, and thank you for joining us here at the Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ for the second sermon in our series, One Kingdom Indivisible. Throughout the series, we'll be talking about how the kingdom of God draws us together as the followers of Jesus. And last week, we started out by talking about the idea of unity and why it is both important and really, really challenging. Number one, God has a vision of unity. God has this vision that we would be united with him. He desires that he would be our God and we would be his people. And Jesus makes unity with God possible and is an example of just how far God was willing to go to create unity with us. Because you see, our sin created division between us and God. And instead of leaving us to our own devices, God sent Jesus to this place to die for us. He sacrificed his own son that we might be united with him. Secondly, God desires that we would have unity with one another. Jesus is, again, what makes this unity possible. The kingdom calls us together in our need for a Savior and our recognition that Jesus is that Savior. Jesus unites us and draws us together. But we also learn that even though we may want unity with one another, we find ourselves to be increasingly divided. And there are a ton of different things that divide us. Race, politics, social economic status, injustice, oppression, religion, issues. There are too many reasons for us to be divided from one another. Back in May of this year, Tony Dungy, the former football coach, now a commentator and a faithful man of God, wrote these words. Today we are a divided country. We're divided racially, political, politically, and socioeconomically. And Satan is laughing at us because that, that is exactly what he wants. Dysfunction, mistrust, and hatred help his kingdom flourish. I don't know about you, but I am convicted by these words. Yes, there are so many reasons why we can be divided from one another, but as Tony Dungy points out, when we are divided from one another, Satan is laughing at us because this is what he wants. He wants to keep us from helping the kingdom of God flourish. And one of the best ways he can do that is to cause division, to cause anger, to cause people to not be united in Jesus. And these words that he spoke were so true back in May, and if anything, they're even more true now. Because we see that people are coming together, but they are coming together against one another. It's not Jesus that's bringing them together. It's a political candidate, or it's their stance on a particular issue, or it's the way they feel about something. The biggest thing that I learned from our study last week is that unity, if it is going to happen, it takes a lot of work. Unity doesn't happen on accident. There is sacrifice involved. We sometimes have to uh, let go of some things that we think are important. We, we need a common purpose to draw us together, something that is so big and so powerful and so meaningful that it helps us to put aside these things that are not as important. 
and, and we have to be able to put first things first and keep them there. Otherwise, division will creep in from all corners. Unity is not going to happen on accident. We need God's help. So last week, I challenged you to evaluate which voices have the most influence in your life. Is it the news that you watch or read, conservative media, media, liberal media? Is it friends who think the same way that you do? Is it those who have different voices who challenge what you think? Is it your family, your church, the voices that address your interests? And in all fairness, again, it's probably a mixture of all of those things. But again, we need to consider which voices we listen to because some voices are only going to sow division and not push toward unity. And we see that playing out every single day. Every single day. Now, I know that many of you are running up against these points of division and you are wondering how can unity be accomplished when we seem so far apart? And I want to thank those of you who uh, wrote me emails or called me or talked to me this last week about the things that challenge you. And I want to just put this out there for everyone, whether you talked to me this last week or not. If you are concerned about division, if you are concerned about being able to be unified with others who have differing viewpoints or opinions than you do, then it is going to take work on your part to put unity under the things that are most important first. The point of this series is to get us to focus on the story of the kingdom of God. Because you see, the stories that we tell end up shaping our identity. And that identity, in turn, shapes how we relate to other people. Story leads to identity, which leads to relationship. We have all sorts of stories that we tell. The story of America as a Christian nation, the story of America as a nation of immigrants, the, the story of America as a place of opportunity, the story of America as a system of oppression. All of these stories are existing within the same space, but you know as well as I do, depending on which story you tell, it can put you at odds with these other stories. But once I have accepted one of these identities, it changes how I relate to others. Now, our purpose is not to understand our identity as Americans or immigrants or members of an ethnic group. We want to understand what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And we cannot let other stories take away from the importance or replace the story of the kingdom of God in our lives. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, your story is the kingdom of God. But what is that story? Today, we're going to start at the top. 
Let's take a look at what we learn about God and about ourselves and about the story from the book of Genesis. And here's one of the first things that we see. From the very beginning, we were part of a creation with a shared purpose. Our first reading today comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that we may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. So we see from the very beginning beginning a couple of really important things number one mankind was made in the image of god which means that we reflect god in who we are and what we are capable of and god made us this way on purpose because remember god desires unity with us he wanted creation that he could love and that would love him back. He wanted creation that he could have relationship with. And so God created us as we are in his image to have relationship with him. But we also need to look at God's desire for mankind's relationship with creation. We were given the earth. We would eat from the earth, but we would also take care of it. God gave us something to do. We had a purpose. Adam and Eve would be the stewards of all creation. They would fill it, subdue it, and manage it. And they were to do this together. They were to work as if creation was one big group project for them to manage. Unity with God Unity with one another, taking care of creation. This was God's plan. Now, how does God's plan and this story fit with what we're seeing to, in today's world and in particular with politics? I like this definition of politics building a shared world together. And politics are the dynamics which take place when we try to build a shared life together. It happens in families, companies, educational institutions, nations, 
and yes, even churches. Churches can be very political animals. And politics, though, is just a way to describe the process of working together to build a shared life. This task that God gave humanity was always going to involve politics. From day one, we would have to learn how to work together, how to balance perspectives and find a good solution, how to decide what was most important and what would fall under those things. But all of us know that that journey to unity is not easy. Sometimes there are not any obvious answers. And this dilemma is why Amy Brown, a professor at Wheaton College, says that politics deals with imperfect solutions for intractable problems. Now, that's a fancy way to say that it's really difficult and you never really get the perfect answer. And this is why some of us don't like politics. I mean, honestly, I have felt like my head is going to explode almost every week over the past few months. It's complicated and messy and confusing, and even when you work really hard, you can't ever get things just right. Building a shared life is not easy. It is complicated, and it is sometimes messy, and it can be hard to find unity for that shared life. But this is our God-given responsibility. We are created for this purpose, to build a life in this world and to do it together, all of us. If current events have made anything clear, it's that we haven't done a very good job of building a shared life together for everyone. Our world is built with systems which do not benefit everyone equally. And, and that is what it means to say that there is systemic racism in our country. It means that buried within the system in which our country functions, there is inequality. But again, for our purposes here, we're not starting with our country. We start with one another. We start with our citizenship in the kingdom, the family of God. And if we can't work together on the group project of being the church, then what hope do we have to offer the world? And in some of the conversations I have been having with people who do not have faith, the question they have asked me is why would I want to be a part of these, this group of people when they don't even seem to like each other? What do we see in the creation story? And what can we learn from it? How do things happen? How do they succeed? How do they break down? What's going on? Well, we see the breakdown, and we see it pretty clearly. Even though there was a common purpose, and even though they were called by God to unity with him and to work together to be stewards of all creation, 
things fell apart pretty quickly, and it started first with a separation from God. From Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any one of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Seemingly right from the start, right after these relationships were established, Adam and Eve were given a choice. Now, they could choose to keep things as they were, living in the garden, taking care of creation and walking with God, or they could violate the one command that God had given them. Were they deceived? Yes. But they believed the deception over the word of God. And believing that deception led them to make a foundational choice that humanity struggles with. They chose themselves over God. When given the option, they chose to be like God instead of being children of God. And it's not a stretch to say that humanity has been choosing to try to make itself like God ever since. And the choice to eat the fruit from the tree opened up a chasm between God and us. Unity had been broken. And God had to respond. From Genesis 3, 21 through 24, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. God could not simply ignore what happened. And the consequences that came from Adam and Eve's rejection of God were dire. Life would be forever changed because of the choices that they made. But while separation from God was the greatest loss of the creation story, there was also division with one another. When Adam and Eve were confronted by God about what had happened, what did they do? Well, I mean, Adam turned to Eve and said, well, she did it. And Eve turned to the snake and said, no, 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 he did it. They turned on one another each blaming the other for what had happened. 
Sounds like a real-life group project, if you want to know the truth. What does this show us, though? Just as Adam and Eve chose themselves over their relationship with God, they also chose themselves over their relationship with one another and creation when confronted by God. I don't really like this statement, but I think it's true. Division happens naturally and instinctually for us and one of the highest values we have as humans is to think of ourselves first. Now listen, we do good things for other people. We care for other people. We love other people. We can be very generous and kind and loving and expressing, and expressing our care and love for others. But we're seeing now, all over the country, in a multitude of different ways, people choosing themselves over others. Whether it's wearing masks or sometimes police actions or rioting or violence in the streets or all of these different things are creating this stew where it's becoming apparent Sometimes our highest value is ourselves and defending what we think is more critical than even the life of someone else. The rest of the book of Genesis is filled with story after story of families divided, husband against wife, child against parent, but the most frequent is brother against brother. Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, and the first and most famous, Cain and Abel. From Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 through 8. Now Abel kept his flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This is the story of the first murder in the Bible. And I don't know about you, but I can't think about murder now without envisioning some of the things that I have seen over the last several months. And the images are indelibly burned into my consciousness. A knee on the neck of George Floyd. James Blake being shot seven times. 
Kyle Rittenhouse firing his rifle, buildings burning, lives being destroyed. I mean, these are things just that I never have sought out and that I don't want to see, and yet we have seen them over and over and over again. And it's been so easy for me as a white, middle-class male to read about things like this over the years happening in different parts of the world or even different parts of the country that I haven't been to or haven't experienced and to just let those stories kind of roll off my back and to keep moving forward. But now I am confronted by a movement to value humanity in conflict with movements to oppress humanity. And I cannot unsee what I have seen, nor should I try to do so. We, we see some things in the Cain and Abel story that are informative for us today and informative for the things that we're seeing. Number one, they both offered sacrifices to God, and for reasons that are not thoroughly described to us, God accepted Abel's offering while he did not accept Cain's. He tells Cain to do the right thing, but it's clear that Cain didn't understand what the right thing was in this moment. But God gave Cain this warning. You have the choice. You can live in unity with me and with your brother, or you can let sin convince you to stay angry and to choose yourself. And the result of all of this was that Cain killed Abel. Imagine the depth of anger, hatred, and jealousy that must have been in Cain's heart that drove the first son in the world to kill his only brother. What Cain did, and the only way he could have gone about doing that was that Cain dehumanized his brother. He stopped seeing him as his family, and he saw him only as an adversary, only as the enemy. And when Cain saw him as the enemy, he was able to stop seeing him as one of God's creation. And therefore, he did not have to treat him like he would treat his mother and father or others. And Cain, in one violent act, took Abel's humanity away. This sounds pretty familiar to me. There are all sorts of ways to dehumanize people long before it gets to murder. And this is what lies at the heart of divisiveness. The problem is not disagreement. We disagree with people all the time. We can disagree on how to build a shared life together and still move forward. I mean, I have plenty of disagreements with my wife, with my kids, with people I work with, with the elders, with friends, and they don't become divisions. They don't become things that drive us apart. Division happens when we take away the humanity of someone else. This is when disagreement turns into division. 
We take away someone's humanity when we think of them as lesser than us, when we look down upon them with contempt, when we say they don't deserve to be treated with my respect. And one of the problems in our churches today is that many of us have categories of people who think it's okay to look down upon others. I think this way, you think that way. You don't just disagree with me, you think I'm lesser because of what I think. And more than that, we live in a climate that, encourage us to, that encourages us to think this way. Political messages are designed not only to have you look down on those that disagree with you, but to also make you afraid of them and what they have to say and what they would do to your country. Social media is a breeding ground for contempt. Because on social media, somehow we find that we are free to say whatever we want without consequence. And what once was a place to share pictures of your kids and your dog has become a place where people can say the most awful things to one another. This world that we live in is pushing division on us with every breath. And it is trying to turn disagreement into contempt. And all of us have fallen for it in one way or another. So where are you? Who do you think it's okay to look down upon? Now, interestingly enough, the founders of our country anticipated this problem. A few years ago, most of us probably wouldn't have recognized a reference to the Federalist Papers, a group of documents uh, written in early in our country's history, but with the uh, advent of the musical Hamilton, uh, we have all been made more aware of certain parts of U.S. history. In Federalist Number 10, James Madison wrote about his fear of what he called the power of faction. He described that as strong partisanship or group interest that inflamed men and women with mutual animosity. It's safe to say that we have seen plenty of the power of faction in our country. But after looking at the biblical story, we shouldn't be surprised by this division. As, as soon as there were two people in the world, there were two factions. As soon as there were two brothers, there was murder. Over and over again, we see divisiveness in the Bible. And the reason why we see it is that this is what sin does. Sin divides us. God warned Cain that he had a choice to make. He could either do the right thing and just fix his offering, or he could let anger take root in his heart. He could let sin take over. And Cain chose sin. He could not get over his anger and his hurt. He stopped seeing his brother 
as a member of his family, as one of God's creation, and he took his life. As Tony Dungy said, Satan laughs at us when we do this. Because the evil one turns us against one another, and because of that, our efforts to bless the world, to care for the world, are hindered. Are you uncomfortable yet? I hope so, because I've been uncomfortable all week in putting this together. But what is truly remarkable to me is that God never gave up on his vision of unity. Unity with us, and that we could be unified together. And we see this in the story of Abraham. If you know the run-up to the story of Abraham, by Genesis chapter 6, God has destroyed the world by flood with Noah. Six chapters into the Bible, the world had to be wiped clean because people were so far away from unity with God and unity with one another. God is not going to do that again, but by Genesis chapter 12, he has decided he needs to start over and he needs to start small. So he chooses Abram and his family. And these are the words he speaks in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and I will be a blessing, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here's what's fascinating to me. With Abram, God truly was starting over. He was creating unity with humanity once more through this one man and his family. He was going to be the God of Abraham, and Abraham and all of his descendants would be God's people. He wanted to call the world to himself, but he knew that it just wouldn't work. But here is what gets me. God could not have unity with the whole world, so he chose Abraham. But don't skip what he said at the end. He said, all peoples on earth will be blessed by you. All peoples on earth will be blessed by you. It turns out that God wasn't really giving up on everyone. It turns out that God had a new plan, and his plan was to bless those who belong to him, but in turn, those people would be a blessing to the rest of the earth. You see, the children of Abraham, were not just to be uniquely gifted by God. They were to be a gift to the rest of the world. So God, again, is asking Abraham and his people to be his people. He will be their God, and they will be his representatives throughout all of creation. Does this sound familiar? It should, because it echoes the creation story. 
that Adam and Eve would have relationship with God and they would take care of and bless the rest of creation. With Abraham, Abraham and his descendants would have a special and unique relationship with God and they would bless the rest of the world. Even though things went so off track so quickly, even though things are still such a struggle, we can be united with a restored purpose because God is a God of a new vision. And through the line of Abraham will come the one who will save the world from sin and death and will make unity with God once again possible. And all those who have unity with God through Jesus Christ should be a blessing to the world. To the world. We see these patterns repeat themselves throughout the story of the Bible. Divisions, factions, a call to unity. What we continue to divide as humanity, God continues to bring together until Jesus shows us that all who are weary and heavy burdened can come to him and find rest. And so we are a people of hope in a place of darkness. We hope for a Messiah who will restore our relationship with God, unite us together, and enable us to bless the world. And this is the hope of the world. In the political world of America, everyone claims to be a Messiah. That's what you have to do to be elected now. You have to promise to be able to solve all of the problems of the world. No one ever talks about doing their best in the complexity of imperfect solutions to intractable problems. They say they can fix everything, and the person that's standing over there will just destroy all that you care about. But the truth is that none of these figures will save us, just as none of them can destroy us. We are right to look to one man to unite us and restore us. But if we are looking to the president to do that, we are looking in the wrong place. Jesus Christ is the only one who unites us together. And that's why it's so important to talk about unity within the church. We are the only ones who can truly find unity in a divisive culture because we are unified by the same Messiah. We are not citizens of the world. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And our Messiah can and does save us and fix the world. And with that hope and knowledge, we can build a shared life together and fulfill our purpose of being a blessing to the world. And these are the conclusions that we come to today. We are created with a shared purpose to bless the world, and our sin divides us and keeps us from accomplishing this purpose. But God, if we let him, will unite us and restore our purpose in the kingdom of God.
Because our story is the story of the kingdom of God. It is the story that gives us identity. With our identity firmly rooted in who God is and in the kingdom he is creating, we are prepared to work together as we build a shared life. We will no longer be a group of people who allow division to take root. For the love of God and our need for Jesus is larger than that. This is what our God created us to do. And as the series progresses, we'll see how he enables us to do that as well. For God (laughs) wants us to be united with him and united with one another. But we need his help. We need his help. We need the kingdom of God to be our story. May we be blessed to discover that together. Thank you for being here with me. We'll see you next time.